0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in temporary studios in Rochester, New Hampshire. Hey, I see some of the remnants of that super snowstorm that you had last weekend, and I hear there may be some coming in, some snow, some of that white stuff I'm talking about, later this evening and into Sunday. Well, we're going to be at the True Memorial Baptist Church here in Rochester for tonight and tomorrow night. We had a great meeting last evening at the church, a lot of people coming in. those who listen to us on the radio, on the Bill Blount stations, especially WDER. We appreciate that fine radio stations promoting uh, the meetings that we are having right here in Rochester. Come on over and join us. It's tonight at 6 and then 10.30 on Sunday morning. We're looking at the prophetic word of God, especially at a time like we're living in today when so many geopolitical activities are happening around the world that are seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Good to have you along. Hope you can join us in the meetings and we can study the prophetic word together. Let's get to our broadcast partners. These are men across the world who are giving us information, helping us to better understand the headlines, really the details behind those headlines, and how it fits into that end-time prophetic scenario. From Washington, D.C. area, we're talking with Ken Temmerman. He's a man who is a journalist. He is an author of a several number of books. He travels, he speaks all over the world himself, and we're so thrilled when we can grab him. And, Ken, let me just give you a couple quickies to get started. Some short answers, maybe, because I've got a lot to talk about. Uh, but uh, would you please talk about uh, the fact that the Russian foreign minister not answering the telephone for our new Secretary of State, uh, John Kerry?
1: Well, I guess I'm not surprised. Why should he? The uh, so-called Russia reset, this great achievement of the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton, has uh, simply led to a stronger Russia, a Russia that feels more confident of itself, a Russia that's arming Syria, that's helping Iran, uh, and is turning a blind eye to North Korea. All of these things in uh, violation, or I should say with, with disregard, to United Nations Security Council resolution.
0: Yes, and what about uh, Chuck Hagel's nomination being put on hold? Uh, the Senate not going to vote on it for maybe a couple of weeks.
1: Well, we don't know yet. Uh, We don't know, Jimmy. What we know is that they're going to need 60 votes to have what's called a cloture vote, which means to bring it to the floor. Uh, That is normally considered as a filibuster uh, vote. And uh, right now, Harry Reid, the majority leader, uh, says that he's got 59 votes, so he's one shy. Some Republicans might back off, and they might say, look, he deserves, Hegel deserves an up-or-down vote on the Senate floor. I hope they don't, because... uh, He is extremely uh, divisive. This is an individual who uh, accuses Israel of holding Palestinians in cages. He's somebody, Chuck Hagel, who has uh, been uh, in bed with the pro tehran lobby uh, and uh, taken money from friends uh, of Hamas. Uh, It's somebody who does not belong as Secretary of Defense, and uh, I think that uh, senators need to get uh, briefed
0: on that dossier. And uh, brief comments, if you will, Ken, we'll talk with one of our other broadcast partners about the State of the Union that the president gave, but uh, your first blush.
1: Well, again, I think uh, President Obama has shown that he's a true demagogue, uh, not a, a leader. He's somebody who uh, selects his facts, and uh, uh, demonizes uh, his political adversaries. Uh, I don't think uh, this is befitting of a president of the United States. I think it's unprecedented, frankly. Bill Clinton never did this. Even Jimmy Carter didn't do it. Presidents uh, uh, president should be not above the political fray. They're always going to have political battles and to earn political capital in, in elections and to spend that political capital. That's fine. But demonizing your enemies the way that Obama does and trying to transform uh, everything that your opponents say Uh, into uh, evil actions uh, is demagoguery, and there's really no place for that in the American political scene, I believe.
0: Okay, talk to me about North Korea, their test of a nuclear device. The United Nations meeting on this situation looks like, uh, as the reports I'm hearing, that it could be this uh, possible nuclear-powered North Korea a real threat to the United States.
1: Well, uh, what we're hearing uh, both from the Defense Department in the United States and from U.S. government officials speaking on background is that this was a smaller nuclear weapon that the North Koreans tested, meaning that it uh, might have been designed of uh, the dimensions uh, necessary, small enough dimensions necessary to fit on top of a missile. Now, if that's the case, the North Koreans have demonstrated that they have a missile capable of reaching the United States. Uh, They've they've, uh, test-fired a three-staged missile. They've shown that they can stage missiles and and fire them off successfully. Uh, And that is an extremely, extremely troubling um, uh, turn of events. Uh, Now, I don't know whether North Korea would actually consider launching a nuclear strike against the United States. Um, They would certainly pay a huge price for it if they did. Uh, but, I, again, I don't think that we should be basing our national security on a hope and a prayer that uh, they might not. Uh, same goes with Iran. So they now have, in North Korea, a demonstrated nuclear weapons capability, which does pose a direct military threat to the United States of America. And um, I don't see anything coming out of this administration, uh, any policy or any response of what to do about it.
0: Well, it also seems that the president let the world know that we were going to, Uh, you know, come back on our nuclear capabilities, uh, make sure that we are having less of them to respond should we come under attack.
1: Well, that's right. And his uh, nominee for Secretary of Defense, Chuck Hagel, uh, authored this report just last year. This is not an old report or or an ancient position of his. It's something that he was actively uh, uh, putting out last year, uh, of unilateral disarmament. He said that the United States should get rid of our ground-based uh, ICBMs, and uh, we didn't need them any longer um, in, a, in a post-Cold War world. And uh, clearly that's an out—it's it's a ridiculous uh, policy. It's not strategy, um, and it's very dangerous.
0: A moment ago you mentioned when you were talking about uh, the foreign minister of Russia not responding to John Kerry and taking his telephone calls, that Russia is continuing to supply arms to Syria. Bring that into your thinking as we also think about the fact that Iran is building small little armies. They call them militias in Syria. Uh, That's in case uh, Assad does fall. Uh, Iran wants to take control of that country, and Russia seems to be falling in line to assist them with supplying arms.
1: Well, I think what we're seeing in Syria is um, the result... Of western inaction when you allow things to go on uh, as we have done in Syria the situation to deteriorate tens and tens of thousands of people uh, get killed uh, in the fighting Um, other players who are more determined than we appear to be in the United States or in the Western world jump into that vacuum Uh, hence uh, the Iranian regime's uh, efforts to build these militias Uh, It sound a bit like stay behind uh, militias that could take control of the country after Assad falls, and the Russians are continuing to sell weapons to the Syrian regime. You know, there's been such a lack of U.S. leadership uh, that it has invited this kind of response, uh, as I say, from more determined nations. If we had that kind of determination, there wouldn't be 65,000 people dead in Syria today.
0: Yes, and I've even heard estimates. I think John Kerry himself said that number may be ninety thousand people, so we somewhere between sixty and ninety thousand people killed in that uh, tragedy that's taken place, that civil war there in Syria. Well, we were talking about Iran, they celebrated the thirty fourth anniversary of their revolution back in nineteen seventy nine and in the street, there were demonstrators in Iran, Tehran, Iran, shouting death to America. doesn't sound like there's going to be any type of relationship that will help uh, bring about some type of answer to the nuclear development of a weapon of mass destruction there in Iran.
1: Well, the, the regime stages these street demonstrations every year on the anniversary of the Putsch that brought uh, Khomeini to power in 1979 this was the uh the sweep of the shahs uh, uh military on february 11th uh, 1979 during the night uh with the help of the mujahideen halk uh they rounded up military officers thousands of uh, pro shah military officers and executed them uh, took over the air bases and then and the radio and the television and that's how they brought Khomeini to power through a military coup it's a Part of history that most Americans don't seem to remember, uh, don't seem to know much about. Um, they do these things every every year to celebrate this. Um, in uh, previous years, they've had many, many more demonstrators on the streets than they did this year. Uh, they have to bust them in from the provinces, bring them in from the uh, poor suburbs in the south of Tehran. Uh, this is a demonstration of regime strength. And uh, my takeaway from this year's. Uh, uh, anniversary of the so called Islamic revolution in Iran is that the regime is not as strong as it has been in previous years. They have had many more people in the streets than they did this year, and I think that's rather a uh, a, a good uh, sign rather than a bad one
0: but it's not causing them to back up on the development of that nuclear weapon of mass destruction, is it
1: well, no, and um, you know this regime will not give up, as Khomeini said uh, many years ago, the revolution is not about the price of watermelons. They do not care about economic, economic sanctions. Uh, the regime does not care about the suffering of the Iranian people. Uh, you know, look, they, they, they round up women. They, they arrest women on the streets driving cars for, for having a strand of hair uh, visible uh, from underneath their headscarf. Uh, they really don't care about the welfare of the Iranian people. Uh, they are determined to preserve the regime, and they see nuclear weapons capability as their ultimate ticket to survival. If they have nuclear weapons, they believe, uh, the mullahs believe, uh, that they can essentially ward off any kind of outside interference in Iranian domestic politics. In other words, any kind of revolt or popular uprising. That is the ultimate goal, I think, of the regime. They say they'd like to uh, wipe Israel off the map, and I believe uh, what they say. I think we have to listen to what they say. But let's not forget, too, that the very first goal that they have is to stay in
0: power. And that is key to understanding the whole situation. Ken Timmerman, he's in Washington, D.C. He covers geopolitical activities for us, and he does an excellent job. Ken, thank you so much, buddy. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy, and uh, stay warm. Thank you very much. I'll try to do that. Hey, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we have a Middle East news update. David Dolan is standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com.
2: And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8Prophecy8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. I mentioned we're in temporary studios here in Rochester, New Hampshire. Snow supposedly coming in tonight and tomorrow, but we're going to move right ahead with the conference, the weekend prophecy conference we're holding at the True Memorial Baptist Church. The people there last night eager to study God's Word at 6 o'clock this evening, and then at 10.30 on Sunday morning. That's in Rochester, New Hampshire, True Memorial Baptist Church. Love to have you come along and join us as we study Bible prophecy. As you listen to my conversations with broadcast partners on the program today, you can realize where we are in this world and how the world is really set for the prophetic scenario found in God's Word to be played out. We're going to take now a moment or two to talk with David Dolan, longtime journalist in Jerusalem. He's been there over 30 years. He's lived in Lebanon. He's traveled in the other Middle Eastern countries. And he's a man who knows that area of the world very well. And, David, I'm so glad you could be along with us. Let me, I've been talking with some of our broadcast partners and will be as well. Uh, talking to them about the resignation of Pope Benedict. Now, I know there's been an ongoing battle between the Israelis and uh, the Vatican there in Rome. What has that relationship been, and uh, what are the thoughts about uh, the Pope resigning as it relates to the body politic there in Israel?
3: Well, Jimmy, there was um, some um, consternation when uh, uh, Benedict was... uh, um, put forward uh, for uh, the papacy, because, of course, he is German, and um, uh, Germany was the center of the Holocaust of World War II, and a lot of emotions in that. But he was already um, known in Israel, although being very, very conservative, as uh As being very pro by uh, uh, Israel and as having spoken out when he was at the Vatican pre- in his previous assignment uh, working for the previous pope and when he was uh, a cardinal in Germany, uh speaking out um, on behalf of Israel at times and uh visiting uh, a synagogue and making other efforts to um as it were add his voice of atonement to the um a terrible mass murder that uh, took place uh, during World War two so uh, his departure is uh, not being welcomed frankly in israel they would would have liked to have seen him stay on, but uh, he is a very old man, and they understand his capabilities are very limited now and as we're getting more information about that it's it's clear that he probably made the right decision in resigning and so the Israelis are accepting that and are just hoping that the next A pope will be uh, favorable towards Israel, and uh, will even come and visit, as, of course, Benedict himself did.
0: And you know, it's interesting to note that there may be the possibility of an African pope. uh, They may elect one out of Africa. The one in question looks to be very pro-Muslim. He's had a lot of close relationships. We'll have to see how that unfolds. Well, another big news event this last week, of course, was the A nuclear test that North Korea did, Israel has been urging the rest of the world to respond to these nuclear tests. There has been some conversation. There was a connection between what North Korea did and Iran. Any new information on that and what's Israel's reason for urging such a response to North Korea?
3: Well, um, we've known for some time that North Korean scientists are, act, have actually been working in Syria on uh, their secret uh, nuclear program. Of course, Israel, Israeli jets uh, bombed the um, reactor that they were building in the Northeast Desert several years ago and um, destroyed that. And uh, North Korean uh, scientists were said to have been killed at the time. Um, they also uh, Israel, Israel security agents say that North Korean agents are also working on iran 's nuclear program so these are these are interlinked and obviously uh, North Korea has now uh, a nuclear capability. Uh, threatening in this uh, video they released to destroy New York City. Uh, they can't do that at this stage, but uh, they might uh, soon be able to hit Seattle, uh, where most of my family lives. It's uh, the closest uh, large American city to uh, North Korea. And, uh, you know, the Los Angeles, et cetera, this is very worrisome. Uh, of course, uh, they could pass it on. They could pass bombs on to Iran or to Syria. So um, it, it's very much of concern to the Israelis. It's the axis of evil that President George W. Bush spoke of. It's still in operation, and it's very dangerous as the Syrian regime crumbles, uh, you know, with chemical weapons at the very least. But if we add a nuclear bomb into that mix, uh, we're talking about potentially a, a, a massive war and uh, massive destruction. So it's of grave concern to the Israelis.
0: There's continued speculation, David, about what uh, President Obama is going to do when he visits Israel, probably within the next month. And uh, the Israelis have some ideas what they'd like to see happen, the Palestinians as well. Um, what do you think? How are the Israeli leaders preparing for this visit from the president?
3: Well, they're, they're making preparations for sure, but we still don't have a government uh, in in Israel, and um, the uh, uh, second-largest party, Yair Lapid's uh, new Yeshatid, or there is a future party, he stated this week that he will not join a Netanyahu coalition if the religious Shas party, which is the third-largest party, I believe, or fourth, but it's right up there, if they are included. So um, Netanyahu's having a real tough time putting together a workable coalition and he's pretty much focused on that he certainly wants to have a government in place well before president obama uh, shows up but the president apparently selected this date without uh consulting the israelis uh, thoroughly uh or he su- suggested it anyway strongly and and the israelis went along with it but it's really not a good time for them either, because uh, for another reason, it's just before Passover and Easter. It's a high-tourism time. It's, um, you know, people are are very busy getting ready for those holidays. And, uh, you know, a presidential visit, it closes down one of the hotels in Jerusalem usually. It um, means blockades. It means street closures. I've been there for many of these official visits, and... uh, and it can be a mess. So there's mixed feelings about that. And also, of course, he hasn't been that, uh, considered to be that pro-Israel uh, by uh, many Israelis. So there's mixed feelings. Palestinians, of course, want him to come to Ramallah and see their headquarters, and he'll undoubtedly do that as well. But probably not much progress is going to really come out of it. It's, it's more of a regional visit. And that, but it's important. It shows that the United States is still uh, connected to Israel, and uh, many feel that it's long overdue.
0: Yeah, somewhat of a photo op. People are talking right now about this presidential visit to Israel. Uh, but however, there are others who are saying that uh, he's going to come in and try to push the Israelis and the Palestinians back into the peace talks. I read a very interesting article that was in the Jerusalem Post, an editorial, and it actually was asking the questions, do the Palestinians really uh, deserve a, a state When you look at the PLO Charter and the Fatah Charter, which are calling for the total annihilation of the Jewish people, just talk to me for about a minute on this. What what do you think about that? Do the Palestinians really deserve a state?
3: Well, I mean, everybody on earth deserves to live in a state, but not everyone can live in a state that's dominated by your own religious group or your own ethnic group. Um, goodness knows America's a melting pot. We've got Chinese Americans, African Americans, uh, Greek Americans, but people from everywhere. And, uh, and they, they manage to get together. So the Palestinians don't have a state, but the Arab, uh, people of which they're a part have, uh, 22 states. So, um, you know, and they surround them right there. So, uh, really many in Israel don't feel that they, need a state or deserve a state or they feel as still many feel that jordan the state of jordan next door should be declared a palestinian state since over half of its citizens are of palestinian uh, background so um, there's other possibilities than a, a two-state solution right there, and frankly, as long as Hamas is around and its charter is calling for Israel's total destruction, and Khaled Mashal, the leader, reiterated this week that they don't intend at all to change that, that they will continue to work for Israel's destruction, and he urged uh, Fatah to do the same. So. Um, I don't see the peace process going anywhere under those conditions. And Netanyahu would like to focus on Iran and Syria when he meets with the president. Those are two much more pressing, uh, dangerous issues in front of us at the moment. And I assume that the White House will agree to discuss those things.
0: Just very quickly, 15 seconds, you mentioned that uh, Jordan is mostly Palestinian. There has been conversation about that being the state of Palestine as well. Is there any possibility that could happen?
3: It's possible, but obviously King Abdullah and the Hashemite uh, government doesn't want to give way to anybody else. They've been ruling it for um, since the 1920s, so uh, it's unlikely, let's put it that way.
0: David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. David is knowledgeable of the things happening there, and as we talk to him, we gain great insight in what really is going on. So it's, it's so good to be able to contact David Dolan. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Have a great week. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Colonel Bob McGinnis in Washington, D.C. He's got an analysis of the State of the Union message given by President Obama. You don't want to miss this conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8 Prophecy 8. That's eight seven seven six seven four three two nine eight. 674 3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets.
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today here in Rochester, New Hampshire. In you know, other words, a super snowstorm last weekend. Looks like they may have a, a dusting or even maybe a bit more for this weekend. Had a great meeting over at the True Memorial Baptist Church last evening. Again tonight at six o'clock. We are gonna be gathering together. That's in Rochester, New Hampshire, twenty-one ten rod road. Love to have you come and study the Word of God. Tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, 1045, and then 6 in the evening as well, as we will conclude our weekend of Bible prophecy. Had some people down from, or up from Massachusetts, down from Maine. It's just neat to reach out into this region and have people come together to study the Word of God. So glad that they could join with us. Hope you can come back tonight as well. If you're listening to WDER In New Hampshire, well, that's one of those blount stations that helps us carry these broadcasts all across the countryside. We so appreciate them as well. Joining us right now from Washington, D.C., Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's a longtime friend, a broadcast partner with us here on Prophecy Today. And, Bob, you wrote an article. It's on our front page of our website, prophecytoday.com. Obama gives short shrift to global affairs And I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to let that go by. I wanted to have your observations of the president's State of the Union message. So how about just get right into it? What do you mean? Why do you say he really wasn't looking out and dealing with global affairs?
4: Well, Jimmy, of course, one-fifth of his entire presentation on Tuesday night was about global issues. We're facing some very troubling times ahead. And oh, by the way, one of the troubling times is prompted by politics in Washington, and that is, we're faced with sequestration, which means that they're going to, once again, radically cut back on defense spending. You know, Back a year and a half ago, under Secretary Gates, we already cut out $500 billion from the next 10 years of budget, and we're still fighting wars, which the president alludes to. Now... The first war, of course, uh, the war that he said is the necessary war in Afghanistan. He announced he would cut back uh, by this time next year half of the forces we have there. But the troubling part is that uh, he has yet to announce what, if anything, he's going to do uh, once we reach the magic year of 2014, which he says is when we're basically going to exit Afghanistan. Are we going to leave uh, the Afghans high and dry with in terms of aid as well as in terms of combat capabilities because as the pentagon indicates in a study that i cite only one of the 23 brigades that belong to the afghans are ready to fight by themselves so you know that really raises you know a very important issue in my vantage point
0: well and then when you're talking about cutting their budget quite extensively i'm sure that's one of the reasons he's pulling the troops out But that is not going to assist our stand in this world, not only to protect the world, we're not the policemen of the world, but to protect ourselves here in America.
5: That's
4: right. Uh, You know, this this past week um, you had uh, Ash Carter, who's the Deputy Defense Secretary, um, Marty Dempsey, the general, who's the chairman, uh, a number of others that testified in both the Senate and the House Armed Services Committee, and they said, look, you know, we cannot afford to execute the strategy worldwide that we're currently executing if you take another dollar. You know, it's not as if, you know, the Defense Department hasn't not only given up $500 billion, uh, but there are other, you know, I think $120 billion in addition to that. And now they're asked, the president under sequestration to asking for another half a trillion dollars over 10 years. You know, you either pull back on roles and missions or uh, you... You just can't have it both. You can't have all that additional funds and the roles and missions. We'll have a, a hollow force. And then, of course, the president goes into an explanation, says, we're going to continue to you know, pursue al-Qaeda, which he means basically with drones and special forces. But he doesn't say that that is a strategy that's going to uh, really rein in the problems that we're facing all over North Africa and the Middle East with regard to al-Qaeda and its affiliates. A very, very troubling explanation. And, of course, he he spins that into uh, the North Korea uh, mess, which after the third nuclear test this past week, uh, he did not uh, explain how he's going to change his strategy because his strategy, which is strategic patience, has utterly failed. And, of course, everything the North Koreans have, so do the Iranians, And, of course, he once again promises, because Israel is listening, that, you know, we're not going to allow Tehran to get a nuclear weapon, but he doesn't provide any more reason why uh, they're going to, you know, pursue a different policy on what we're going to do. So, you know, he really didn't assure a lot of people uh, and give them a lot of confidence on the way ahead.
0: And meanwhile, China, who is quickly becoming the most powerful military nation in the world, I think they're second now only to the United States. But they're taking control of the oil, not only any place in the world they can get it, but in particular in the Middle East, which is probably going to bring about the collapse of OPEC. I mean, this is quite a, a, quite a, a move, is it not, by the Chinese?
4: Well, of course, the China, China consumes as much uh, more of it than we do, quite frankly, and they're pursuing access to oil all over the world, not just what's in the Middle East, all over Africa, all over you know Europe. They they go to the Russians for oil. They're exploring uh, in the Pacific and South China Sea, which is one of the reasons they're in dispute. And of course, they're beginning to look into the Arctic regions where we're beginning to get more access. That, and and oh, by the way, one of the other things that the president announced is his intention to further reduce our nuclear arsenal. Given that we really don't know what the Chinese are doing other than they are developing more weapons, more nuclear weapons, as well as uh, missiles and the like, the president says he wants to cut perhaps a third more than we already agreed with on the Russians. And at the same time, the Russians... Uh, are increasing their arsenals as well. So it, it's questionable you know, what planet uh, he lives on when we look at all these crises around us and why he's uh, going forward with all these cuts.
0: I remember Teddy Roosevelt used to say, walk quietly or walk softly but carry a big stick. I think President Obama is walk softly and carry a twig. Doesn't look like we're going to really be able to be effective in this world with all the geopolitical activities, does it?
4: No, it doesn't, Jimmy. You know, the, the one thing that I agreed with him the other night is that we need to do a lot more on cyber, the cyber threat, which is a very serious, and he signed an executive order on Tuesday, you know, mandating some standards and the like. But all it does is create, as far as I'm concerned, another bureaucracy. We need to do some things, but what we don't need is a lot more government. Um, and but that seems to be his only solution to a lot of these things. So, you know, when you, you look across these things, the president doesn't have a uh, solution on how uh, to accomplish the strategy that his administration promulgated uh, with. And then at the same time, he he wants to cash in on our defense spending uh, to our detriment. It you just one thing doesn't fit with the other.
0: Colonel Bob McGinnis, Washington, D.C. area, looking at geopolitical activities for us. This is essential to your understanding. You need to go to my website. Bob has a very excellent analysis of the President's State of the Union message. You need to read it. Bob, thank you. We'll talk again real soon.
4: Well, thank you, Jimmy.
0: You know, Colonel Bob McGinnis brings some very interesting thoughts to the table as we discussed the State of the Union and, indeed, the situation out in the Far East. Very, very interesting developments out there. Well, interesting developments taking place in the continent of Europe as well. We're going to bring to these microphones Dr. Rob Congdon, who's going to help us to understand what is happening in that part of the world so that we can better understand how the stage is being set for Bible prophecy uh, to be fulfilled. Rob, I guess the major story coming out of Europe this week would have to be the resignation of the Pope. Talk to me about that as it relates to the European Union. Now, you could talk about the Catholic Church and all the ramifications of that. Well, maybe talk with another broadcast partner on that issue. Uh, but as I remember, you've told me in the past, most of the leaders of the European member states are of the Catholic persuasion. So what significance is this to the European Union?
6: Well, I think the significance is that for all the leadership of the EU, which, as you have said, is, that's correct, uh, they basically have to at least acknowledge uh... their belief in roman catholicism or their membership in it and in many cases they are very much practicing roman catholics um, so for them what it means is their leader in terms of spiritual leader they don't know who he's going to be and what changes that may do uh... what that may affect the eu i always uh, look back at some of the history of the eu where the uh, president of the commission was on a course headed in one direction the pope talked to him. they had a short talk and the course completely changed it just shows the incredible influence the pope can have over the leadership of the eu so i'm certain for many of them they're thinking at this point well are we is there going to be a change of courses and will that affect them and their direction in the eu so it's it's you know a time of uncertainty for them and uh, they're going to be watching closely who the new pope will be.
0: Interesting to me, in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, it says that the revived Roman Empire will be headquartered in Rome during that seven-year tribulation period. Uh, My question, any pope who is selected will probably have, in his thinking, in his mindset, the European Union and how the two work together. Would you say that is probably a good assessment?
6: Well, I I certainly, I always point out to people that the Vatican really is two sections or two phases. One is the spiritual leadership trying to affect people around the world. The other is very much a very real country, a political power, and that the Vatican, of course, we know is located in Italy. Italy is in the European Union, so they're all tied together. And so, uh, yes, it, it will have significant ramifications in that aspect uh they are very much a political part of Europe also.
0: Here's news coming out of the European Union I thought very interesting want to get your take on it. A deal is near on the Eurozone economic governance laws. Now that sounds like to me they're putting in place an economic structure for the European Union. Would you agree?
6: Oh, absolutely. The uh Eurozone which are the nations within the European Union that use the euro. Um, they are have had enormous problems financially we've talked about this many times uh... the news just in the last week has not been good for europe uh... again uh, things are not improving uh... some might say well they're at least plateaued others have said well we're not sure if we're going back down again so the eurozone is concerned the result in their view and this is really a mindset of the european union is regulations taxes and control and so that's what we're seeing develop very quickly. I think uh in my view it's going to develop first in the eurozone and before long have to spread to the rest of the nations in the European Union because again finances drives much of what happens in Europe as it does in many countries. And so therefore as the eurozone gets more regulation, more control, uh, and more money flowing into the taxation aspect of it, uh, that's going to eventually seep over to the rest of the countries. And and, and, and with time, I, I still firmly believe with time, all the other nations, such as Britain, are going to be forced to accept the euro, and with it, all the regulations and control of the eurozone.
0: I think your optimum statement there was they're going to be forced to accept this. They're not going to buy in? You think they'll have to... Uh, have to come down strong on these 27 member states to all f- fall in line?
6: Uh, I think there will be a lot of outward um, talking and strength, uh, arguing and, and appearing great resistance, but ultimately the leaders of the countries that don't have the euro, uh, I think they will know what's going on and where it's going. So for the home audience, they'll talk one way, but when they're talking with each other, it'll just be a matter of Yeah, now is the time we have to do it. Uh, Trade is crucial within the European Union, and trade is going to drive this. And uh, the biggest holdout right now, of course, is the United Kingdom with their British pound. Uh, They have talked very big about maybe pulling out of the EU, uh, resisting the euro, etc. And now we're starting to see the pound be affected uh, in its value, and I think there will be all kinds of pressures, but in reality, in the end, they will all yield
0: to it. Rob, what about this report coming out of France? They're ready to unlock the EU-Turkey talks. In other words, they're ready to consider once again the membership of Turkey as a part of the club of the European Union.
6: Well, this this is quite significant because up until now, both Germany and France have been st- wrong in their opposition to allowing turkey to become a member of the e u uh... turkey has been long seeking this role and in fact uh, uh... just recently there's been observations that some of the people in turkey are getting tired of waiting to be brought in france under sarkozy the former president of france uh... really was opposed to it but now we've seen a real change with the new government in france and they're ready to continue with the talk. So I I think they're ready to proceed. Turkey has threatened to actually sort of create its own, and I'll call it sort of their own little European Union of Asian uh, countries as kind of pressure to put on the EU to pull them in. So uh, this is is like removing, if there's two roadblocks ahead, this is removing the first major roadblock. There's one more, and that's Germany, and even there... Chancellor Merkel of Germany has started suggesting maybe they can talk about this further. So Turkey, the, the admission of Turkey is not a dead issue. If anything, this has given it some impetus to start renewing it and moving toward that.
0: I know that uh, economics is uh, part of the ramification or significance of Turkey being included in the European Union, the member states. But have we not talked about in the past the the open door for the Muslim world to move into Europe and even expand the ever-increasing population of Muslims in Europe, which could mean some very significant things in the future?
6: Uh, certainly can change the entire culture of the European Union. Um, they will take every step they can to prevent that, but uh, we're already seeing the influence today. Uh, I'm not convinced that Turkey alone would become then just the major bridge for Islam to move into Europe. There are other directions coming from North Africa that are, are aiding that. So uh, I would put it certainly it is a concern. That's one of the reasons many people in Europe are opposed to Turkey, but uh, there are many other bridges that are bringing the people in. So in the end, they may say, well, we'll accept Turkey as just one more source uh, of people coming in. We'll have to deal with it. I think it's a significant issue, but it's not a, uh, as they say in the business world, a deal breaker.
0: (laughs) Not a deal breaker, but indeed helping to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled because of the fact we know what the unique role Islam has in the end times, especially as it relates to Israel. Dr. Rob Congdon with our look at the European Union. Rob, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week.
5: Always
6: good to be with you. Lord bless.
0: Dr. Rob Congdon, the commenting on events happening in the European Union that are seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. In the first comments that we had with Rob, he was talking about the importance of the Pope. As it relates to the operation of the European Union. Right now, we are going to focus on the resignation of Pope Benedict with Mike Gendron. He has an organization, ProclaimingTheGospel.org. That's their website, and the organization, of course, Proclaiming the Gospel. And Mike comes out of a Catholic background many years a Catholic, but then coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and now a very, very unique ministry, especially reaching out to those who might want to understand possibly what's wrong with Catholicism. Well, we might get into some of that maybe on a later program. The Catholics have an eschatology, and Mike has done a documentary on that. I want to save that for another program because this breaking news is important for us, and I want to deal with it. Mike, talk to me about the significance of this resignation by Pope Benedict. This is the first time it's happened in, what, six, 700 years?
5: Yes, Jimmy, it's good to be back with you. It's important to know, because the media has not been reporting it, the last pope to resign did so under pressure in the 15th century there were actually multiple popes all claiming the chair of peter they had three of them at one time one was sitting on the throne in Avignon France another one in Pisa Italy and then the third one in Rome and so they were all pressured to resign so that they could elect another pope and reunite the Catholic Church and so that was the last time we had a pope resign Since then, everyone has died in office, and so this is really unprecedented for a pope to step down. Uh, He cites health reasons, but I think there's more to it than that. I think he was a very battered pope. Not only uh, he thwarted the ecumenical movement, he angered the Jews, he angered the Muslims, and he had a pedophile priest case on his hands that Didn't go well when he was uh, moving priests around and not bringing them to justice. And then we also saw some major bank scandals that he had his hand in.
0: You think this, then, is more a pressure situation than it is a physical situation?
5: Well, that's what the reports are. You know, the Vatican is very secretive, so we don't really know what's going on under the radar. But this is unprecedented for a pope to step down Citing health reasons, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye.
0: We'll keep uh, talking to you about what may develop in the future. This is an ongoing story for sure. Uh, Talk to me, Mike, about the process now to naming a new pope. How does that come about?
5: Well, they have a conclave of cardinals that are less than 80 years of age. If you're over 80, then you're not allowed to vote in the conclave. And so, currently, they have 125 cardinals that are qualified to vote, and they will go into the Sistine Chapel, and when there is a two-third majority, then they will name the new pope. And it's always uh, an adventure. It normally takes uh, days or even weeks, and the crowd will gather at St. Peter's Square and look for the smoke coming out of the chimney. If it's black, that means the pope has not been elected yet. And when they see the white smoke, they know that a two-thirds majority uh, has elected a new pope, and he will then come out, and they will see him for the first time as he comes out and on the papal balcony there. But it's really interesting, all the speculation right now, Jimmy, because the major growth of the Roman Catholic religion is in the Southern Hemisphere, in South America, Central America, and also Africa. of the Catholic population is now in Africa, so there's great speculation that the next pope will be an African pope, uh, an African American pope. And um, there's some leading candidates. One was actually the leading candidate when John Paul II died. His name is Cardinal Arens from Nigeria. The reason he was the leading contender was because of his great relationship with Islam. He not only knew the religion well, but he made great inroads into bringing the Muslim religion closer to the Roman Catholic religion. And if you study the Roman Catholic papal history, their goal has always been to unite all the religions of the world under the power and influence of the Pope. So we've seen bridges being built into all the world religions, but most specifically into the Muslim religion, where there's over a billion souls. If the two religions were to join, that would be two two billion people in the world out of a six or seven billion population. And so that would go a long way toward the creation of a global religion that we know will one day worship the Antichrist.
0: Of course, we're speculating right now as to who this next pope may be, but uh, that's a very interesting direction that it the church could go. In fact, do you see, whoever that next pope may be, do you see the change of direction as far as the church is concerned?
5: No, I don't think there will. Well, first of all, I think we need to understand what an infallible dogma is. The church can never rescind an infallible dogma because the whole system, the whole religious system would collapse. When an infallible dogma is pronounced by a collection of cardinals at a councils such as the Council of Trent, they are in cement. They can never change. They can never be rescinded. And so the direction of the church, it may change a little cosmetically, but the infallible dogmas will remain. And if your audience are not familiar with some of those, many of the dogmas actually deny the gospel of Jesus Christ One dares to say that if you believe you are justified by faith alone, then you are anathema, you are condemned. And so there are over 100 of these anathemas. They will remain the same. But the direction of the Church has always been ecumenical since Vatican Council II, which we talked about on a previous program. That's when they issued the decree on ecumenism, and that's when they set in place the goal to bring all separated brethren That would be all the Protestants back into the fold, bring them back home to Rome under the power and influence of the Pope. Now when you look at biblical prophecy, this is really interesting because one of the non-negotiables for Protestants to come back home to Rome is that the worship will be centered around the Eucharist. We know in Revelation 13, 17, and 18 there will be the worship of the image of the beast, a false Christ, and when you study Roman Catholic theology, you know that they believe the Eucharist is the physical body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, who has returned to the earth to be offered up again as a propitiatory sacrifice. So when the Pope says this is a non-negotiable, that worship will be centered around the Eucharist, we can all... I only wonder if this is a precursor to the false prophet of Revelation 13 forcing the world to worship the image of the beast.
0: Wow, wow. We are moving very quickly towards that scenario that's laid out in God's Word. Well, you mentioned earlier that uh, the Pope out of Africa may want to pull together Catholicism and Islam. Knowing the eschatology of both, Islam wants to set up a worldwide caliphate, which is a world dominion, and of course the Catholic Church, their eschatology is uh, dealing with making everybody Catholic in the world, which would be a similar type of a kingdom operation Then, which would bring back Jesus Christ. I want to have another conversation with you, Mike. We want to talk about uh, that uh, Catholic eschatology and get more information from you. We'll do that down the road. But thank you so very much for the insight you've given us today on this resignation of Pope Benedict there in Rome. Thank you, buddy.
5: You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless you.
0: That was a great interview. Hey, this is Jimmy D. Young
2: Jr., and I'm sneaking in here just for a second. Normally, we'll have Prophecy Q&A on our weekend program, but we're not going to have that this week. But let me invite you to join with us every Thursday night at 7 o'clock Eastern on our PTRN Prophecy Today radio network, where we'll take your questions that you've sent in to us, and we'll get answers for those questions for you. And if you're interested in our trip to Israel, which leaves April 10th through the 23rd, make sure that you go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and click on Joshua Travel to find out more information about our trip to Israel. Again, that's Prophecy Q&A live every Thursday night, 7 o'clock Eastern on PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network.
0: We're going to take a break, and when we come back, a very interesting interview with Buddy Davis. Buddy works with Answers in Genesis. He's an expert on the dinosaur. We're going to talk about what happened to the dinosaurs. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. We've got about 30 minutes left on prophecy today. And I don't want you to go away. There's a newscast upcoming right after that. I have a very special guest that we'll be talking to. And then I will take a look at the book. We'll bring all of the details from our broadcast partners together, help you understand the prophetic scenario found in God's word and how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ. We'll be back in five minutes right here on prophecy today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. You do not want to leave that radio. Stay close by or your internet connection because in a moment I'm going to be talking with Buddy Davis. He is associated with Answers in Genesis. He's somewhat of an expert on dinosaurs. In fact, if you've ever been to the Creation Museum there at Answers in Genesis, you've seen some of his work. He sculptured all of those dinosaurs that you see there. We'll talk with buddy about that in just a moment. And I'm going to ask him the question, was it a meteorite or an asteroid that uh, destroyed the population of the dinosaurs, or where did they go to? How did they disappear? That's all I had. Keep the dial set right where it is. I want you to go to my website and answer our poll question today prophecytoday.com is the website address. Here's the question. It's down on the left-hand side. Go down the column, you know, scroll down, and you'll be able to find it. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 and verse 24 that Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. You know, as we look at the world and many of the Gentile world leaders trying to take control of the Jewish people in Jerusalem, I'm asking, could this time in history, the times of the Gentiles, be coming to power for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Be sure to go to the website, prophecytoday.com, and there you will find the poll question. You'll also be able to participate in reading my daily devotions there located on our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, all of the interviews that we've done on this broadcast, and every broadcast that we do, it's archived right there at PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And remember our 24-hour-a-day radio station, Prophecy Today Radio. It's 24 hours a day with prophecy teaching, some of the greats, Dr. John Walford, uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost, uh, Dr. John Whitcomb, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, all of these available, and we have our programs up there as well. That's prophecytoday.com, PTR, Prophecy Today Radio. I want to also tell you, now this is so exciting to me, we have a new organization. It's called Prophetic Army of Senior Saints. We're trying to recruit all the senior saints out there who would be interested in passing along prophetic information to the next generation, teaching their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, having a neighborhood Bible study, teaching a Sunday school class, which you've got to know Bible prophecy in order to be able to teach it. Well, this is a part of our whole program. We will teach you the main basic truths of Bible prophecy. You'll never quit learning. You'll continue to learn all along, but this is an opportunity for you to join up with us. We must pass to the next generation. Proper biblical eschatology, the study of the end times. Go to my website on the right-hand side. You'll see the big acronym PASS, Prophetic Army of Senior Saints. Double-click on it. It'll take you to a location on our website that'll give you all the information you need. And tell others about it. We want to recruit as many as we possibly can. Well, indeed, I did tell you we have a very interesting conversation upcoming. After that, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Buddy Davis. Buddy is associated with Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum that's located just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Buddy and I got together this last summer at Word of Life we were both speaking there, had some fun uh, with the interview we did there, and indeed, I became very, very excited about this man's ministry. He is involved in dealing with dinosaurs. Actually, buddy, at the museum there, you're the one that uh, developed and put together and sculptured each and every one of those dinosaurs, are you not?
7: Well, I did I did most of the dinosaurs. I, I have a, a lot of fun telling people that the the really good dinosaurs I probably didn't do, but I'd, I did most of the dinosaurs. So yeah, I've, been, I've been sculpturing dinosaurs for probably, oh, goodness, a good uh, 20, 25 years maybe. And I got with Answers in Genesis about 18 years ago when they were just uh, first started up as a ministry and wanted to start a, a dinosaur museum. So I showed them what I've been sculpturing. And since I'm a creationist, I thought my dinosaurs belonged in a creation museum.
0: Well, that is a great opportunity for many people. And may I recommend, if you are in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, you need to go by the museum. It's actually just across the border, the state line into Kentucky. Uh, But you do not want to miss an opportunity to visit the Creation Museum and I have to tell you, buddy, I've been there, and I think uh, your dinosaurs are superior to any I've ever seen in any place in the world. We so appreciate you doing that. A lot of research went into sculpturing those dinosaurs, did it not?
7: Uh, it sure did. Uh, and I'm, I'm still studying dinosaurs and still trying to le- to learn more about them. And, uh, and I try to I try to uh, to make them look as real as I possibly can for what we know. I I, I tell people when I get to heaven and the Lord show me what they really look like, I'll probably have a big lap and say, I sure made a lot of mistakes on my dinosaurs. But uh, we're doing the best that we can with the information that we have to try to, and I want to make them look real. When I first started to sculpture the dinosaurs, I wanted to do life-size models. I didn't want to do scale down models. I wanted when people would see this dinosaur, that's how big that particular dinosaur would have been or how small. And so a lot of people think, old oh, dinosaurs are big, huge, monstrous creatures, and, of course, they were not. The average size of a dinosaur is between a sheep and a bison. Uh, but the famous dinosaurs are naturally the ones that would grow to
0: be big. Wow. I didn't even realize that myself. This is very educational for me and our listeners. He's dropping on the conversation. In just a moment, I want to ask you about where the dinosaurs went. How did they disappear? There are scientists... Who believe that asteroids hit the earth. And I'll get to that in just a moment. I read an article posted on my website, got some comment from people saying, oh, are you an old age kind of guy? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm still young earth, but uh, I wanted to post this so I could set the stage to have a conversation with you, buddy. But before I do that, talk to me about dinosaurs. When were they created? They are not prehistoric animals, are they?
7: No, no, no. Uh, In fact, there's no such word as as prehistoric. God God was there at the beginning. We have his word. So when we hear the word prehistoric, that's that's just not even correct, biblically, even though you you, you hear it uh, all the time. Because we have the history. We have the history from the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. And God tells us that he created uh, all the land animals on day six. Dinosaurs were land animals. A lot of people get uh, pterodactyls and plesiosaurs mixed up with the dinosaurs. Now, pterodactyls are not dinosaurs. That's the flying creatures, even though you see them in dinosaur movies and you see them in dinosaur books. They're flying creatures. And plesiosaurs and chronosaurs and uh, uh, the sea monsters, they were all created on the fifth day of creation. And uh, not millions of years before that. And dinosaurs were land animals. That's what separates them from the pterodactyls and the plesiosaurs. Dinosaurs lived on the land. The Bible tells me, using God's Word as the authority, not the opinion of man, that God created the land animals on day number six of Creation Week, and God created Adam and Eve on day six, too. So when we hear that dinosaurs lived millions and millions of years before people, Who do we trust first? Do we trust God, who's always been there, who knows everything, who kept a record for so that we would have it, or do we trust the opinion of man that changes all the time? What's proven as fact tomorrow is thrown out the window, according to uh, a a lot of scientists in in this area in paleontology. But God's Word changes not. So I, I, uh, I, I trust God's Word far above the opinion of man, and I know, according to his Word, and he writes clearly, he's not the author of confusion. He says clearly that he created the land animals on day six. Adam and Eve were created on day six. I totally believe and have no problem that man and dinosaurs coexisted together.
0: You know, we take that account of creation in chapter one of Genesis. Actually, literal, just like we take the rest of the Bible. I don't know how anybody, buddy, can take John three sixteen. God so loving the world, he gave his only begotten son for us so that we could be saved. You take that literal, you can't allegorize or spiritualize. In Genesis chapter 1, that has to be taken literal as well. Well, here's what I wanted to talk to you about. There was an article, Asteroids May Have Killed Dinosaurs Quicker Than Scientists Thought. And some scientists are saying that dinosaurs died off about 33,000 years after an asteroid hit the Earth. Well, hello, if we don't believe the Earth is but about 6,000, maybe six to 10,000 years old, that's an impossibility. Would you agree with that?
7: Yeah, I agree. They're, they're, they're completely wrong on their assessment. Uh, again, they're, they're, they have their preconceived ideas, uh, on on dating methods that show scattered results hardly ever give you the same results two times in a row. You know, God's got the genealogies in the Bible for a reason. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, begot, so-and-so and that's not to put us to sleep at night. That's so that we could trace back our ancestors to a literal man and woman, and that's Adam and Eve, and that comes to about 6,000 years ago using the genealogies, and that's what it's in the Bible for. So, uh, so uh, most creations w- would believe that the dinosaurs died out uh, because, because, well, all animals died out except those on board the ark because of the worldwide flood, which opens up another door. Somebody says, now, buddy, do you believe that dinosaurs went on Noah's ark? I absolutely do. The Bible says two of every kind of land uh, air-breathing animal went aboard Noah's ark, two of every kind, seven of some. Dinosaurs were land animals, so I certainly do believe that dinosaurs would have went on the ark. And uh, during the flood, the earth was being uh, destroyed. Sure, most creationists would agree that uh, maybe asteroids could have impacted the Earth during that time, not millions of years before that, but during that time. That could have been one of the mechanisms that God would have used when when the Earth, when the floodgates were being opened and the the water shot up and the whole Earth was being destroyed. There have been volcanoes, there have been tidal waves, the Earth is being destroyed. So there could have been a number of mechanisms that God used to do that. But it sure is not the asteroid that, that caused the, the, the entire uh, extinction of the dinosaurs. Now, the dinosaurs that were on the ark when the flood was all over, uh, they, nobody called them dinosaurs then, right? Because the word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841 by a man by the name of Sir Richard Owen. And the word dinosaur means like terrible lizard. And they had been thought of just as that, as some type of a, a, a reptile that came off the ark. Some time later, the word dinosaur was invented in 1841. Prior to that time, uh, when they came off the ark, we hear of all the dragon legends, and dinosaurs, uh, dragons were reptiles, dinosaurs were reptiles, and I have no problem believing at all that the, dra- the dragon legends were real, and some of them can be attributed to what today we would call dinosaurs.
0: Well, then, in refuting this article uh, that it was asteroids that wiped out the dinosaurs, why have they disappeared?
7: Just, just like animals uh, die out all the time, probably after the flood was over. Well, no, probably about it. After the flood was over, the earth would have been greatly changed. And the habitat and the environment that the dinosaurs enjoyed prior to that time would have been changed. Probably they could not get a good enough to hold, and, uh, and, and they just, uh, the, the ones that survived for a while uh, became known as, uh, as the Dragon Legends. Now, uh, we hear of knights that slay the dragons. We hear people killing dragons, just like today. uh, Animals that's in trouble today are the big menacing animals like tigers and and lions, elephants, uh, rhinos. If they they bother people, people being the smartest, they know how to deal with that problem. They just do away with them. No doubt some of the dinosaurs, people were just naturally uh, fearful of them, and they
0: killed them. Do we have anybody, any remnants of, of the what we call dinosaurs today left on the Earth?
7: Today, there's some parts of the world uh, where there's reports, and I'm not saying it's been proven, but there's reports of some creatures like this that some witnesses claim uh, that sure looks a lot like dinosaurs that they see. I've talked to, uh, to uh, a number of people who believe that that's true. In Africa, one of the famous uh, sightings is Mikeli Mabembe and as, as what the Africans and natives will call this creature, fits the description of what we call a sauropod dinosaur. And I know one man who's an evolutionist, and he told me, he says, he says he went over there because he's an explorer, too, and he went over there, he and says, he says, i got to tell you, I did not see the creature, he says, but I interviewed enough people, he says, and, and I believe that what they were seeing is what we call a sauropod dinosaur today. One of the smaller ones, like like, like a prosauropod, is what they call it, like a sword Fits that description. So yeah, I think there's evidence like that. And then in the Bible, it talks about uh, the behemoth in Job chapter forty, starting with verse fifteen, and that certainly fits the description of what we would call uh, a, a sauropod, a dinosaur-like creature today.
0: Buddy Davis. Buddy is a part of Answers in Genesis. They're located in the Cincinnati, Ohio area the Creation Museum just across the state line there in Kentucky, Ken Ham and all of his fine team. You need to visit that location. Buddy, thank you so very much for informing our entire listening audience who have been eavesdropping on this conversation today. Appreciate it, and I'm sure that we're going to have a conversation down the line sometime.
7: God bless you and your ministry and all the work that you do and all the people that you're reaching. I'm honored beyond belief just to be able to be able to talk to you, and I've met a lot of wonderful people and a lot of wonderful Christian leaders while I've been doing this, and, and you're, one of, you're, you're one of the great ones that I that I really enjoy being able to talk to, and I'm glad to call you my friend.
0: Thank you very much, buddy, for those very, very kind words, and, and you're a special brother in Christ as well. Hey, we're going to have to take a break right now, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: Thank you.
0: on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com.
2: And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. How do you like your news?
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we reflected on a number of geopolitical actions that are taking place around the world with our broadcast partners. For example, we talked with Colonel Bob McGinnis in Washington, D.C., and we focused on the State of the Union speech by President Obama. Ken Timmerman was also in Washington. We looked at the North Korean nuclear test and the threat that they may well have been setting the stage for, a threat to the United States of America. Our Middle East news update was given to us by David Dolan, longtime journalist in Jerusalem and the upcoming visit by President Obama. And what's going to happen between the Israelis and the Palestinians? There are hopes on both sides that the president might be able to kickstart the peace process. But with the charters that the Palestinian people have, which calls for the total annihilation of the Jewish people, it looks like there's not a true peace partner there with the Israelis. Dr. Rob Congdon gave us an update on the European Union. France is getting Ready to unlock the European Union Turkey talks. They believe that the state of Turkey could be included as a member state in the European Union. That would be very interesting with the prophetic scenario that calls for Turkey to be a major player in the end times. And a very interesting conversation with Mike Gendron. We talked about the Pope's resignation, the next successor to Pope Benedict, what that might mean, especially if it's one out of Africa who has a close relationship with the Muslim world. We're going to stay on top of continuing to talk with Mike about the developments of the selection of a new man to take over the leadership of the Catholic Church there in Rome. By the way, all of these broadcast partners can be listened to. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. There you'll find PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. We take all of our broadcasts, and we have a number of radio broadcasts heard on networks across the entire United States and around the world on the Internet, and we archive them at PTRN. So you can listen to any of them when you would like to be able to do that. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com. And do me a favor, tell a friend about these interviews, especially the ones on the program today, so that they might be able to go and listen to them. There were some very interesting comments made and insight given to us by the broadcast partners. Again, that address, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. Each of our broadcast partners discussed world activities unfolding, and world leaders making decisions that are actually affecting our world today, but setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. A number of ramifications by the resignation of a pope. First one in about six or seven hundred years, Pope Benedict stepping down, who will be the next leader in the Catholic Church. Will he take a different direction? There's a lot in Bible prophecy that has to do with that type of a scenario. North Korea and their nuclear test, and how about those kings of the east that will be making their way into Israel? That's the book of Revelation, chapter 16 and verse 12. It is the next to the last of the 21 judgments found in the book of Revelation. We talked about that today. We talk about political events because they are indeed setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And of course, Bob McGinnis brought his analysis to us about President Obama's State of the Union message and some of that which was left out, which was very much concerning to Bob, especially in foreign policy activities, global events that... uh, the United States could have an effect on. But we also talked about the visit to Israel with David Dolan of the president and what that might mean as well. Well, today I want to stop and step back and look at the Gentile world powers. We've been talking about world powers. We've been talking about the decisions that they make that are affecting us today and may have an effect on setting the stage for Bible prophecy. But they are Gentile world powers that we need to think through as we think about what Jesus said. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gave that on the beginning of Passion Week Monday afternoon before he'd be crucified in a couple of days and it's his teaching to the Jewish people of what will be happening during that seven-year tribulation period. It's yet future. He wasn't talking about signs for the rapture of the church. He was talking about those things that will be happening in that seven-year period of time leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And one of the things he said in Luke chapter 21, verse 24 was, that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, when the Gentiles control the Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem, that's the time of the Gentiles. It started with the taking away and captivity of Daniel and his three buddies. That was in 605 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, destroyed Jerusalem and took the activities of the Jews, shut them down, destroyed the temple, and took them into captivity. It's recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 36. That was Babylon, a Gentile world power. Medo-Persian Cyrus, he had been prophesied to come to power Isaiah 40 and 45, and allow the Jews to return to Israel to rebuild their temple. That's Ezra chapter 1. The Grecian leader, Alexander the Great, he never went into Jerusalem, but he conquered the world by 32 years of age. He died, and his kingdom was divided into four parts. And two of those parts, the north and the south, which is modern-day Syria and modern-day Egypt, will play a key role in the end times. What about the Roman Empire? Vespasian was the Roman emperor appointed in 70 AD. His son was General Titus. He was told to destroy the temple, devastate the city, and disperse the Jews to the four corners of the earth. That was in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Jesus said there would not be a stone upon a stone, Matthew 24, on the temple mount in that temple, that majestic building in Jerusalem. And that was the case in 70 AD. But also it fulfilled the prophecy of Deuteronomy 28, when God told Moses that the Jewish people don't obey me, I I'll scatter them to the four corners of the earth. Of course, today we have President Obama. Now, I am not saying he is the Antichrist. Please don't misunderstand me. But he is doing things. He's controlling Jerusalem. The mayor of Jerusalem said it's the only city in the world that the president of the United States dictates their zoning laws. Well, it's setting the stage for Bible prophecy for the Antichrist to come on the scene, He is going to be a part of the revived Roman Empire. He'll confirm a peace treaty. Ecclesiastical Babylon will be set up in the city of Rome. That will be where the revived Roman Empire will be headquartered. That's chapter 17 of Revelation. He'll take it down. He'll move to Jerusalem. He'll perform the abomination of desolation, walking into the temple claiming to be God. This is all a part of geopolitical activities that will be in the control of Gentile world powers. But let me remind you, before it all happens, before all these prophecies are fulfilled, the rapture. And the rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until.